0: Jesus didn't have to, but he did. Jesus didn't have to heal Simon Peter's mother-in-law when they were in her home and they were gathered and all kinds of people were around. Nobody, as far as we are aware, asked her. Maybe somebody did. Jesus didn't seem to have to, but he healed Simon Peter's mother. Jesus didn't have to, but he did. Matthew 8. Jesus didn't have to stop for Zacchaeus, who was up a tree. Jesus didn't have to go to his house. In Luke chapter 19, he could have walked right by and and kept along with the crowd. Jesus could have done. He didn't have to stop, but he did. Jesus didn't have to approach a Samaritan woman when she was there at the heat of the day, the height of the day when it was so warm because of the type of woman she was or she felt she was. She went when no one else is there and on her own gathering water for her, for, for her family perhaps. There, Jesus didn't have to but he makes an approach and he speaks with her and he offers to her water, the water of life. He didn't have to but he did. He didn't have to stop at the blind beggar outside Jericho. He didn't have to touch the leper or the lepers who asked him to heal. He didn't have to heal the crippled woman in the synagogue, but he did. Jesus didn't have to, but he did. He doesn't have to come to earth, he doesn't have to die on the cross, but grace and love lead him to do so. Jesus didn't have to, but out of grace and love and out of obedience to the will of the Father, he did, such grace. Jesus doesn't have to do any of these things, except in so far as love and grace and obedience to the Father's will will compel him to do so. Grace doesn't have to. Love doesn't have to, but they do. And Jesus does. And he continues to do so even today. Jesus still at work in the world, doing among us and in us, what he doesn't have to, but he does out of grace and love and in alignment with the Father's will. It's out of grace that he does what he does in our lives and in the lives of others. Jesus is still the one who is ministering his and out of his grace and love. He doesn't have to, but he does. He does it not because we deserve it. Goodness, I don't. Not because we earn it, because we can't not because we negotiate it, we'll just strike a deal with God, but because it is the very nature of God. Grace and love are his very nature. Grace, simply the unmerited favor and blessing of God to us, to humanity. It's just grace. God's action to us and in us and through us, his ministry to us and in us, His saving power in us and to us is all gift. Grace is God's movement towards us. It's His initiative. He takes the initiative. He takes the first step. It's His first steps of loving kindness always towards us. This is all Jesus. This is all God, moved by grace and love. Hallelujah. This is what God does even still, and we have become recipients of this grace, and we have become beneficiaries of this grace and love. We can't earn it, we don't deserve it, but it comes to us as a gift in Christ and in the Holy Spirit. It is God's movement towards us. And God's amazing grace, this ministry of grace and love, comes in a multitude of ways. Let me just pick out a few of them just now, just a few headline summaries. God's amazing grace comes to us in what we might call prevenient grace. That means the stuff that God is doing long before any of us ever came to faith in Jesus. That God, by the Holy Spirit, is always at work in the world and in the lives of people all around you, in the communities. That's why when Often when people give a testimony when they've just come to faith, they begin to recognize pointers in their life before that they never recognized before. But then they recognize that was something of God. Prevenient grace, the life of grace before we come to faith in Jesus. I can see it all over my pre-Jesus life. The grace of God. Then, of course, there is saving grace. One of my favorite verses from when I I came to faith in Jesus. While we were still sinners, Romans 5.8, Christ died for us. This is how he demonstrates his love for us, Paul writes. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This saving grace that somehow the death of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. His death on a cross clears the way for us to have life with God and in God and in Christ. God's grace saves us. Saves us from the sin that so easily entangles us, from the guilt and the shame and the sorrow that sin creates in our lives, the destruction that unfolds because of it. But grace saves us. I I, I can't earn it. I've come across all kinds of people who wanna earn this salvation. It is grace. It's to be received. And then somehow in receiving it, life begins to change as God's sanctifying grace begins to work in us. Sanctifying, making us become more like Christ. Bringing something of the holiness of God, the transforming grace of God into our lives. I think it's Philip Yancey that says God welcomes us or loves us just the way we are, but doesn't intend to leave us that way. Thank God. I mean, honestly, if you had the 19-year-old Ian, actually, even if you had the 49-year-old Ian, but I'm slightly better, I hope this year than that. but if you had the 19-year-old Ian, it would be a disaster. But God has been at work in my life with his sanctifying grace to make changes within me by his grace, his power, his strength, that mean I live in different ways now than I did then. So God welcomes us just the way we are. So if you're wondering, does God welcome you? Absolutely, just the way you are. But his grace will begin to work in you. Holy Spirit will begin to work as that grace within you, leading you to a place where you become more and more like Christ. There are times when the Spirit of God will flood our hearts, where we will be filled with the Spirit, and we'll know that something new is changing. And then there's sustaining grace, that that, that grace that brings us um, strength and power and comfort and peace, the presence of God to persevere in our day-to-day living. When when we feel as if we're ending ourselves and we're just calling out to God, God, I need your grace. Your word says your grace is sufficient and your strength is made perfect in my weakness. Well, I'm weak. Lord, I need your grace. And somehow by the Spirit of God, grace is breathed again into our lives and we're sustained for whatever it is in the journey of life we face. It is all grace. Grace doesn't have to. Love doesn't have to. But they do. They do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. The nature of grace and mercy is we we don't get what we deserve from God. God. But instead, he loves without condition. Unconditional love and favor of God. Amazing grace. And our response, because it's a gift, is to receive it. And then to enter it. And then to live into its fullness. John 1.16 says, From his fullness, from God's fullness, from the fullness of Christ, we have received grace upon grace. I kind of just want to continue with that. As I look around the congregation, Jesus out of his fullness wants to give you grace upon grace, 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 upon grace. Out of his fullness, God longs to give what's needed so that you can receive grace, enter it, live into its fullness. It's all gift. And it seems like in the story of grace that is woven all the way through the scriptures and all through human history, it seems as if God is always on the lookout for us, on the lookout for opportunities, for possibilities of grace to unfold from him into our lives. God's always on the lookout for an opportunity to pour more of that grace into our lives in Christ. In the spirit. What an amazing, beautiful, gracious, merciful, loving God we have. Hallelujah. And if only we could welcome and give space to the fullness of Christ and his grace in and for our lives. How differently we would live we would live lives dominated by the grace of God, released in God's grace and love. And that's our focus for this morning, that out of the fullness of grace and love that we receive and are receiving and keep on receiving in Christ and the Spirit, so then we also minister grace and love to those around us. We are recipients of grace, and we are releasers of grace to others, to our neighbor, to those around us, to those in our front lines, to those places where you are most of your time from day to day. And that's the third M of the six M's in our series that we're going through, faith on the front line, or fruitfulness on the front line. That, that front line places, those places where we spend most of our lives. Not when we're gathered here, but wherever we are. We've spoken about modeling godly character on our front lines. We've spoken, Jeff led us through making good work. The fact that the work we do is valuable, it's dignity there in the everyday tasks we have, whether we have a job, whether we don't, on our front lines. And today it's, it's a call to be Those who are ministering grace and love. God has shown us grace and love. Well, how might we minister grace and love to those around us in the places where we spend most of our time from week to week? And a revelation or an encounter of grace and mercy from God, this unconditional love should birth within us a life of grace and love in every direction. In every direction we move and live and have our being. And it should often demonstrate itself in surprising and unexpected ways to unexpected people in unexpected places. So I want us to read from um, Luke chapter 10, very well-known scripture, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan as we think about some of the surprises of ministering grace and love as we have been recipients of grace and love from God. An expert of the law, that's a lawyer, I assume. Not I assume, that's what it is. Stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? The man answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to vindicate himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and took off leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came upon him. And when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. Now that's a bit of a surprise there, that it's the Samaritan who's moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged the the man's wounds, treating them with oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Do you see that? The cost and the sacrifice of ministry. Which of these three, Jesus says, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. Couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. Such was the animosity between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. The one who showed him mercy, Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. That's a well-known passage and the assumption is because the the pathway from Jerusalem to Jericho was well known for uh, the Jewish people. Uh, People traveling from all kinds of areas would often go to Jericho so that they could avoid Samaria and the Samaritans. And so this passageway, this path between Jerusalem and Jericho, was often used by those who were going to and from Jerusalem. So the assumption is it is one of the Jewish men who is on the road, who is attacked by these robbers. And as he travels and as he's attacked, he lies there waiting, hoping that somebody will pass by. Someone will be his neighbor. They'll stop and attend to him. And both the priest and the Levite, who are themselves religious Jewish leaders, they pass by. The very people that you would have assumed would be his neighbors. My goodness, they are of the same Jewish family. They're leaders in this religion. Their choice is to follow the rule of law rather than the rule of love the rule of law instead of the rule of grace. They pass by because their religious purity laws say you shouldn't touch that person because they're unclean. And so they hold to the law and they neglect love and grace. And it costs them nothing. They just cross over on the other side. They, I guess, justify themselves with a reason not to minister grace and love. By doing so, they discount themselves as the man's neighbor. Even though he is one of their flock, so to speak, they deny grace and love. It's a Samaritan who turns out to be the neighbor, showing grace and love, even across the hostility and the hatred of this established social and religious divide between Samaritans and the Jewish people. But he goes over and above, beyond those. He doesn't become someone who is ruled by cultural laws or social laws. He becomes governed by the law of love and grace. It's out of his compassion that he ministers. Not because he has to, but because he does. He's compelled by compassion, by love and grace. The Samaritan breaks the rules, the cultural rules to minister love and grace. Well, the priest and the Levite are law keepers. The Samaritan is a law, is not a law keeper. But with love and grace, he ministers love and grace. He breaks the rules. That's not what he was expected to do. It's not a religious rule he's having to fulfill. This is an unexpected and a surprising expression of love and grace. It comes from within, from the heart, and it sends a shockwave into a divided and fractured society. It sends a shockwave into the religious and the social culture. The Samaritan didn't have to, but he did. And so he ended up expressing the life of Christ more than the religious rulers. He didn't have to, but he did. Grace and love don't have to, but they do, not because we have to, not because of a religious rule, but because when we encounter the love and the grace of God, it compels us to also minister love and grace to others, even if it is crossing social and cultural barriers that everybody else thinks are not appropriate. There was a guy in our church in Parkhead, he was a businessman, he had quite a sizable business doing landscaping. And occasionally, uh, I would in, uh, go to people's workplaces to see them and see how they were. And I went to meet him for coffee, uh, and he took me uh, just a, a trip around the office blocks and out towards some of the warehouses that were there. When we got to one of the warehouses, and this is a big operation, um, he took me up onto a, a kind of uh, up st- steel ladders and onto a, a balcony area. And all over this balcony area were bed frames and beds and, and cupboards and wardrobes and chest of drawers. And I'm thinking, all of these tractors are down here and grass cutting machines and all kinds of stuff. But why has he got beds and, and, and mattresses and stuff like that in this corner all covered over? So I asked him about it. And he said, for years we've, we've been employing people from overseas and they come with nothing. And the thing about it is, is they have to find a place, and often the places they have have very little in them. And it would take a couple of months for them of pay to get to a place where they would be able to afford to get it. He said, so I decided that we as a company would set up a fund where we would buy some of those immediate essentials so that whatever they didn't have, we could supply it for them. Now, this is at a time where the influx of people coming from overseas to work was not popular. There's often antagonism in those areas. But what did he do? He kicked the cultural and social law that was in place, the barriers that are often in place, and he said, no. Out of love and grace, I will minister to these employees of mine, and I'll make sure they're not stuck. And people knew he was a man of faith, And they knew he was a follower of Jesus. But in his actions, he ministered grace and love. He didn't have to. There's nothing in there and nothing in the rule book of an employer that says he ought to do that. But what does he do? At the cost of the company that he owned, at the cost of his own, perhaps, reputation in the face of some, he said, but I will make sure I minister grace and love to these folks who are on my front line, who have nothing. Now that's the law of grace and love, not the law of the law. He didn't have to, but he did. The shock of this passage is that Jesus was saying this Samaritan went beyond what was culturally right or he went over the cultural barriers. He didn't have to, but he did. And this is what is at the heart of the ministry of grace and love in everyday ordinary places of our life. People that you meet from day to day are frontline living. That there we minister grace and love. We don't have to, but we do. It's not in a rule book anyway. We do it because grace is operating within us. And then what about the generosity of this good Samaritan? Not just going and, and, and taking the potential of, of uh, that sacrifice of, of doing something that other, others would have seen as crossing a cultural barrier. He does it with such generosity. It's of cost to him. It's of sacrifice to him. And the ministry of grace and love costs us. Doesn't always mean financial generosity, though in the case of the Good Samaritan, it did. But rather, it's an expression of a life of generosity, a heart of generosity, a a willingness to minister love and grace to another, even then when there might be a cost to our time, or our energy, or our reputation, or our ambition, or our progress. Ministry isn't always convenient. It often comes as an interruption into our daily routines. Oh, but I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to do this. And often the opportunity for ministry and love that grace is looking for is an interruption into our lives. It's an inconvenience. It means that we have to stop this and do that because in this moment, there is a God-given, grace-given opportunity to minister grace and love. And it's there to be taken. Ministry on our front lines isn't always convenient. It tends to interrupt what we're doing. Will we take them? And if we're following the pattern of Jesus in our life, he is no stranger to being interrupted. He allowed himself to be interrupted by children in Mark chapter 9. By a Gentile woman from Syrophoenicia, whose daughter needs help, Jesus is willing to be interrupted, he's inconvenienced. By crowds who discovered where he'd gone when he withdrew for a rest with his disciples. Jesus understands the nature of interruption and inconvenience. But he also knew how to minister grace and love. He didn't have to, but he did. Jesus knows what it's like to be interrupted when he stops not only for a blind beggar outside Jericho, but then Zacchaeus, a wealthy, hated tax collector in Jericho. I mean, everything's wrong about both of those things in social-cultural terms, to stop for the blind beggar and to stop for the tax collector who's cheating everybody. But Jesus is interrupted. Ministry? is an inconvenience at times. He's even stopped when he's in full preaching and teaching flow in a house with a whole load of people interrupted by some vandals wrecking the roof above and lowering down their mate in some kind of bed. Who knows how they did it? What an interruption. Just checking. But ministry opportunities for ministering ministering grace and love for us are often an inconvenience, and interruption. So what do we do? We ignore them. But grace and love does not ignore the opportunity to minister grace and love. And the ministry, the meaning of ministry, the meaning of ministry is just serving others. Grace and love are more than have-tos. So we focus on how grace and love might express themselves by taking initiatives or simply by responding with greater generosity. There is, after all, a joyous generosity, lavishness about God's grace. Grace doesn't have to, but it does. Grace is generous and it's surprising. And ministering is really just serving others. Serving others, wherever you are in your front line. Nothing more, nothing less. Sure, it'll cause some inconvenience and interruption. But the ministry of grace and love is just looking how we can serve and bless and minister God's grace to others. Ministering grace and love is openness, awareness, alertness, and then willingness to serve others on all of your front lines. Because that's what grace does. Chooses to step in and serve someone else. Not because we have to, but because that's what grace does. It's the power of noticing and then acting and responding with generous grace and love. This response of the Good Samaritan is both generous and surprising. He's ministering grace in counter-cultural ways, inconveniencing himself in order to be generous To another. I've known people who do this in all kinds of ways. I know some people who do survival sickness bags. That sounds awful when you say it out loud. But that when somebody in their office or in their workplace is unwell, they take note of it, they notice, they contact the person. But they put together a little survival bag and they go and they take it to their colleague or their boss or their employee. And with it, they just express their thoughtfulness, their care. They get to know them a little better. They don't have to, but they do. And they minister something of grace and love that when we do that over and over again in our lives, opens up all kinds of opportunities for us in conversation to minister more love and grace in Christ, for Christ, about Christ. I know of a man who for almost all of 50, 60 years, went to Barlini Prison down in Glasgow every Sunday afternoon. Not because he had to, but because that's what grace does. And there he would meet with some of the inmates every week. And he would just minister grace and love to them, him and those who went with him. He would go every Sunday afternoon, occasionally when the preacher was long, which was occasionally the case, I would see him move out early even at his inconvenience and I knew where he was going. He was going to minister love and grace out of the grace he himself had received in Barlini prison. Man's a legend. Even my own uh, understanding mums and grandmas who I've witnessed and it's often mums and grandmas I want to challenge the dads and granddads as well who regularly stayed longer after dropping their children at school, who would stand at the school gates and listen to the the chat and someone who's been talking about how things are in life for them. And you stay a little longer, but you might check in with them later or maybe help or take stuff to them that they might need. Even when you don't have the stuff for yourself. I've known mums, who have heard something at the gates of a school, and who maybe are struggling themselves, go and get something to take to the mother who was struggling at the gates. That's ministry of love and grace. But even when it costs, this is all in our front line. They didn't have to, but they did. Supermarket queues, where we're just open to the Holy Spirit and the people in front of us and behind us. There may just be an opportunity to minister grace and love. So if you ever see me in a queue, I'm probably the one who's waiting to be ministered grace and love as I frantically wish the queue would go faster. But I need to check myself. Lord, I'm in this queue. I'm in a conversation with someone in front. Might it be an opportunity for grace and love to be ministered. Generous forgiveness in your workplace. Or in your family. Workplaces can be unforgiving. Shouldn't be for the people of God. How do we live generous love? My, my mom in retirement. She, she took on about a dozen, 15 years ago. Going to visit a lady that the we had re, a, a good working relationship with the, the local GP in Parkhead. And uh, handful of people in our congregation said if there's anybody who, n- who needs visited in the community and the GP uh, knows of them, tell them to let them know, we'll go and visit them So my mum was about half a dozen people who went she's still visiting, I mean, 12, 15 years on, my mum still goes now, my mum can't drive anymore and she has her, her, her own illness now but, but she gets my uncle now to come and take her to visit this woman, even while she's frustrated she can't go in her car That's the ministry of love and grace that costs her and has cost her. A group of Christians in a football team who were intentional about talking with and caring for the other guys who they played with to such an extent that they would get to know them and get to know their situations, understood the challenges that we're facing, who then went on to lead an alpha group in a pub. And then out of that group, some of those boys in the team came to faith. Now, this is all frontline stuff. None of this is to do with us here gathered, coming together and organize, organizing something. This is all ministry on your front line, Ministering, truth, and grace. All of these things are within our hands to do. Ministry is just serving others. The question that drives the passage of the good Samaritan is understanding who's my neighbor that I'm called to love it's being aware of who our neighbor is and then being intentionally focused on ministering to them in love and grace in all the places that you operate from one way to the next where you spend most of your time noticing them responding to them who is my neighbor No, they're all around you, every day. In the queues, at the school gates, at school, at university and college, in your workplace, in the places where you volunteer, in your communities, in your neighborhoods. They're all neighbors. And it does cost, it interrupts, it can feel like an inconvenience. We don't have to, but grace does. We don't have to but we do. So let's remind ourselves of those front lines. Who's my neighbor? Well, they're in your homes and in your family. They're in your workplace, your vocational life, where you volunteer. They're in the places that you socialize, your friendship groups, your recreation, your sports, your music, whatever it is. They're in your neighborhood, your community, your street. And then during the week, I thought, I'm going to add one in our online life and our social media life. Can we minister grace and love in those places to our online neighbors? Please do. Please minister some love and grace online. It's a mess. Ministering grace and love even in the online spaces. How would our social media usage change if we understood it as a place for ministering grace and love? How would our social and recreational life be different? Our spare time life if we were ministering grace and love? What if we viewed our neighbors and our neighborhood through the lens of ministering grace and love? What about the voluntary work we do? Sometimes the kind of job we do is more easily uh, identified with a kind of vocational work. You know, the kind of caring professions but all work is good as jeff was telling us a couple of weeks together i came across this quote it's always easy to see that the work that involves people care and health is like care and health is worthwhile after all god's god loves people but there's more there is creativity and beauty so the work of painters and decorators and chefs and photographers and gardeners my goodness have you seen the gardens outside thank you paul Thank you for all the work you do. Creating beauty. There's something of the beauty of God in all of that. There is order that God wants to bring. IT consultants, mechanics, admin people. You too can find that your work matters also. There is work that allows others to thrive. Accountants, therapists, teachers. Our work is good and the way in which we do it. But there's also opportunities for us to minister love and grace on those front lines. We just have to look for them. This is not just the ministry that we do when we're gathered together. This is what we do every day of our life. As I close, Ellsworth Callis, great name. He was one of my professors in my preaching class in Asbury in Kentucky. And he had this great phrase, live life with eyes wide open. Live life with eyes wide open. I think if we were to live in our front lines with eyes wide open, in tune with what is happening around us and with the Spirit, we would be looking for opportunities even if they inconvenience us, even if they interrupt us, to minister grace and love. When we have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to discern, keeping in step with the Spirit, how can I minister God's grace and love? So as the band come up, here's what I'd like us to do. I want you to picture one of your frontline places. One of these places. Your family, your home, your work or vacation, your social life, your recreational life, your neighborhood. People that you know, the places where you spend your time. And we're going to go on a little prayer walk with Jesus. So just picture them. You can close your eyes if that helps you. We're going to do an imaginative prayer walk with Jesus. Picture that front-line place. Now picture you in that space just now. And Jesus walks beside you. And he wants you to see what he sees in that front-line place so that you can minister grace and love. So imagine yourself there. On the front line with Jesus. And as you walk, look around. Ask yourself these questions What does Jesus see? Look up and look around. What does Jesus notice? Who does he notice? Why does he notice them? What might Jesus hear? What might he begin to think? What might he say to you on your front line? perhaps Jesus begins to walk towards someone what is he doing what do you see Jesus doing in that front line how would he minister grace and love who does he stop and talk to how long does he stay What's he inviting you to do with him in this front line? Living life with eyes wide open with Jesus. Can I ask you to stand with me if you're able? Let's read this prayer together, out loud. Lord, help me to see these people, this place, and these issues with your eyes and your love. Lord, help me to bring to these issues, to this place, and to these people, your grace, your wisdom, your love.